So the mountains do a couple of things, I reckon. Firstly, they totally kind of strip you back. You can't, you don't, you can't carry any false pretense in the mountains because that will just be exposed like straight away. I think everybody's walking, working around with various kind of cloaks over them or kind of, you know, projecting idealized uh, images of, of the self, but in the mountains, like that's just, that's all bullshit. Like it doesn't cut it. And so you kind of get stripped back a little bit. Yeah. And you know, alpha males kind of trying to, you know, I'm better than you and strutting around and you just go, that's all bullshit. And, and, and once you've actually done something, you know, you know what you're capable of, you know, that sort of is within you and you don't need to have any external facade. You shed whatever, or, I mean, I never really had a cloak anyway, but I mean, that's way, way stronger and more powerful. Hi, this is Caroline Stephen, and this is Talking Trading. Last week, we were on the summit of Mount Everest. And this week on the show, we hear the third and final part of Mountaineer Patrick Hollingworth's interview, and we ask him why he climbs the most remote places on planet Earth. What's the joy? What's the inspiration for him? Well, according to Patrick, the mountains strip you back to be your best self without ego or false pretense. What can the natural world and climbing teach us about resilience, everyday life and the power of consistency? Today in Mind Power, Louise Bedford looks at the importance of consistency for traders. Let's hear Louise and then we'll go to Patrick for the third and final part of his interview. If there is a single goal that every trader should have, novice and experienced alike, it should be consistency. You have to have a trading plan that sets out your financial goals and why you're taking on this role of being an active trader. You should also have some development goals in there for yourself personally. And with respect to trading, your personal development trading goal must be to become consistent and calm and to approach trading with clarity and mechanical detachment. Consistency can only be achieved over time. The quick burnout rate of the beginner trader that throws themselves in crazily just doesn't seem to permit following a trading plan with precision over the long haul. They're much more likely to freak themselves out and run a mile long before they achieve greatness. After a strong start, the loss of potential is just tragic. Consistency is required to decide the conditions under which you'll enter trades, exit trades, and how much capital to commit to each trade. You also have to know which markets you'll trade and how many open trades that you'll be able to monitor. Yes, I think it's great to get immersed in trading as an initial phase. It's really the only way to maintain enough momentum to learn the skills required to become an effective trader. However, if you're still approaching trading with the uncontrolled fervour of a zealot after a year or two, you're probably going to burn out and drop the game entirely. Keep a balance in your life. If you can't sleep because you're worried about your trading performance or you're just so excited about what trading can do for your life, lower your position size until you find you can handle the pressure. Trading should be monotonous 
and steady. If it isn't, then you need to improve some aspect of your attitude or your system design. Hi, I'm Perry Kaufman, and I enjoy listening to Caroline on TalkingTrading.com. It's always a pleasure. And now here's the third and final part of Mountaineer Patrick Hollingworth's interview. Pat, why do you do it? Why do you traverse such hostile conditions when everyone else is sipping tea in front of the television or tucked up in bed? (laughs) What gives you the joy? Yeah, I mean, I really miss it because I don't do it as much now, right? And um, I mean, back then, you know, I was in my 20s and 30s. And to be honest, I found life really boring. Now, don't get me wrong. I love sitting back and sipping a cup of tea. But it was this kind of notion of wanting to live a life less ordinary, I guess. Um, And I felt that um, putting myself into those extreme environments, that was the best way that I could you know, really totally milk life, just get the marrow out of it kind of thing. I kind of, the old adage, you know, I kind of, I didn't, I wanted, I didn't want to be on my deathbed without any cool stories to tell. (laughs) Um, But you know what? It's really challenging, right? Because, you know, you live a life like that and, you know, you're going off every year to, you know, places like Pakistan and you're meeting people from all over the world. And it's a, it's not a rock star lifestyle, but it's pretty unusual, but it, it can be really hard kind of coming back into your kind of normal life. Um, and, and then once you let go of all of that and effectively, I mean, I let go of big mountain, you know, of Himalayan mountaineering sort of my last expedition was probably 2013. And so I, I still climb, but you know, far less riskier environments in New Zealand. But so it's really hard to kind of let go of that um, because, you know, they were just these amazing years when you just life just felt so mm. kind of rich with possibility. Yeah. And um, and then of course you you know other you know other things come along and you know you decide to start a family and and you know things change. I get know, it. Yeah, buy a house and build a business and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, I can't kind of do that. But it's really interesting. One of the things that put a bit of a cap on me was. I couldn't get life insurance covering mountaineering. <laughs> no special Everest. So, and I started, yeah, no, no, no. So I started kind of thinking, well, wow. Okay. Maybe I need to read. And, and look, certainly having lost a few friends in the mountains kind of mm. caused me to kind of reconsider that. Something um, said last time was the sheer natural beauty of planet earth. Yeah. 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 You know, you've, got to you you have to really get out there to kind of you know to appreciate that um so for example a couple of weeks ago I was back in WA with some friends we were doing a surf trip on a boat and you know it was we we're out in the really remote part of the northwest of the state and you know at night time just these incredible stars and I realized I haven't seen stars like that for I don't know how long you know where I live just south of Sydney you don't really see stars you know, because of light pollution and all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So, but what it made me, re- it kind of reminded me of it's, I mean, on the one hand, it's increasingly easy for anybody on earth to kind of access the natural world, you know, virtually through the internet and, you know, increasingly th- through like, you know, augmented reality and all that kind of stuff, but nothing, like nothing beats actually getting out there um, yourself. And I think that um, 
you know, it's a bit of a trap, kind of the modern life we live, because mm. you kind of, it does insulate you a little bit from all the risks from those kind of environments. So let's just apply this to your psychology. You've said that in the mountains, you're your best self. Like you're actually a lazy person. You're just not lazy in the mountains, which I thought was very funny. What do the mountains do for you? How do they make you? Um, so the mountains do a couple of things, I reckon. Firstly, they totally kind of strip you back. You can't, you don't, you can't carry any false pretense in the mountains because that will just be exposed like straight away. I think everybody's walking, working around with various kind of cloaks over them or kind of, you know, projecting idealized uh, images of, of the self, but in the mountains, like that's just, that's all bullshit. Like it doesn't cut it. And so you kind of get stripped back a little bit, but that's real. you need to kind of, you know, if you're really trying to grow as an individual and, you know, you need to get stripped back and you need to kind of see what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses and what you are and are not capable of. And yeah, cause you can't hide from any of that. And so I really, I really, I used to really like that element of the mountains and I still do to this day. Um, but also I feel like, cause a lot of, a lot of society is sort of built on, on all these constructs, which again, they don't really apply in the natural world. And you can kind of, I just think you can learn how to sort of, act otherwise in the mountains i mean i'm not a i'm not a religious person per se i mean i i would i i'm a spiritual person but i don't adhere to any particular religious doctrine or anything like that you know i mean i i understand how people get that sense of awe when they walk into you know like a big cathedral and so for me i have that same experience when i enter the mountains and there are these these staggeringly large mountains around you and you yeah you realize how small you are um you know the time you know these mountains have been here for for so much longer than you have and you begin to i I find it really useful way to kind of put things in perspective and and appreciate even like our own lives you know whether they're 50 or 70 or 100 years long the temporal scale of our lives is minute compared to the temporal scale of like the natural world around us and I mean, I, I think that I think that our society could learn a lot more in terms of just being a little bit more humble in terms of um, the, you know, the, the incredibly short period of time that we've that that we've been on the planet. And, uh, you know, maybe not to be too arrogant about ourselves as a species and, and, and maybe just to appreciate that the earth gives us a lot. And therefore, I think it's probably that we need to look after the earth. And that's that's a whole nother challenge around climate change and all those kinds of things so climbing is a spiritual experience for you because i can imagine it would be a spiritual experience for me yeah and it is and it isn't in terms of like when it's just really hard and scary and you're terrified and you're physically exhausted um you know (laughs) it's 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 not spiritual it just it's it just really sucks (laughs) (laughs) but you know, you do have these kind of just these minor moments of these sort of sublime moments. And that's when it kind of becomes sort of spiritual. But I mean, yeah, to be clear, I'm not I'm not climbing, you know, and spending every minute of that climb sort of in spiritual wonderment. For the most part, I'm just going, this is really freaking hard work. And why did it why didn't I just decide to go on that beach holiday instead? But of course, the beach holiday doesn't actually give you those those real moments of kind of of the 
elevation. Sublime. Sublime. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. 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 So has it built your resilience as a person in business? Um, yeah, it, it definitely did for a while there. Um, I remember kind of coming back from not just Everest, but as I increasingly kind of was climbing bigger mountains and yeah, I remember I, I, I you know, what, what it enabled me to do was you, you shed the exterior cloak, you know, so at least some people and, you know, it's certainly in business and work, all that kind of stuff, so the facade of invincibility kind of thing. And certainly <laughs> with ego. men, you know, yeah. And, you know, alpha males kind of trying to, you know, I'm better than you and strutting around and you just go, that's all bullshit. And, and, and once you've actually done something, you, you know what you're capable of, you know, that sort of is within you and you don't need to have any external facade. You shed whatever, or, I mean, I never really had a cloak anyway, but I mean, that's way, way stronger and more powerful. And so, yeah, I mean, I certainly developed a lot of, a lot of resilience. And then it's interesting in the past sort of few years and, you know, some of the work I was doing was really, really difficult. Um, and at times I probably lost a lot of that resilience. Um, I mean, I do, I do think that it would probably suit me pretty well to go back to the Himalayas and just be reminded again. Of yes, that. You know I understand. I mean? Are you glad you summited Everest? Was it good for your self-esteem? Um, yeah, it was. It, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm definitely glad. And certainly I feel more than anything really privileged to have, to have been up there. And I climbed the mountain with, you know, five, sorry, four, there were five of us. So four, four really dear Sherpa friends and, and, mm. um, and, Sherpas. um, you know, what, yeah, one of them to this day is still a, a, a really close friend. Um, and so that was, yeah, a real sort of privilege, as I said. Um, so it wasn't so much about, it wasn't so much about pride and, you know, mm building up my own self-esteem, but rather, I guess I was, I felt quite humble to have almost been allowed to be up there. Oh, um, beautiful answer, Pat. <laughs> yeah. Cause I think that, I mean, I was always really cautious about the, the, you know, you don't want to be the dick who's walking around going, yeah, I climbed Everest. Cause like, <laughs> you, I'm just kind of calling bullshit on that person. You know what I mean? Like, like, like if, if, if you're mountaineering for, if you, if, if the reason you're doing something like that is for extreme extrinsic reward, you know, for recognition, that that's just weird to me, you know? So, so for me, again, it was always a bit, it was just about curiosity. Like, could it, could I do it? You know, I was never a gifted, I was never the alpha male. I was never like the sport jock or anything like that. Um, you know, I enjoy the notion of, of kind of the real strength comes from really within and knowing what you are and aren't capable of and then testing yourself as opposed to trying to prove prove to other people what you are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I know what I stand for. You know who um, you are. I know what I'm capable of. And, you know, in, even in recent times in some of the work I've been doing, that's sort of been challenged. And I, I think I, it doesn't matter because I know what I stand for. Um, and I'm, I'm, that's, that's what's important to me. So, yeah. So I remember I asked you this question last interview and you kind of went, oh, that's a really nice question. Pearls of wisdom. Can you give any last pearls of wisdom from the highest peaks around planet Earth? Uh, you did that. That's ooh, what you did last time. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm, I don't remember how I answered last time, but I'm just trying to think, well, what would my, 
what would my pearls of wisdom be today? Um, look, there, look, there, there would be a couple. Okay, so one of them is definitely going to be around. In fact, if it was anything, it was basically don't be afraid to kind of break the mold and step outside the herd. Um, so, for example, in my yeah, you know, starting my mountaineering career when all of my other friends were building their professional careers mm. and getting married and buying houses and everybody's telling you to do that mm. and then to not do that and do the absolute opposite. Um, yeah, you're kind of going against against the direction of the herd. And, um, and I'm not saying, you know, be a rebel for the sake of being a rebel, but I think increasingly um, it's kind of easy just to sort of follow the expectations of the herd. It's a notion of having skin in the game. Mm-hmm. Put get get some skin in the game, um, and once you know, having skin in the game means you're invested and you're committed to doing what you're doing, and don't be afraid of of having skin in the game when everybody else is telling you, you know, that's the wrong game to be in. Yep. You know, the chances are they're just following the kind of this bigger societal narrative, which is you know you should do this and you shouldn't do that. But in actual fact, it's like. For me, I like I said, a life less ordinary. I didn't want to be some kind of robot or mm. automaton just doing what everybody tells me to do. Um, so I guess I've always sort of had that fierce independence streak. And, um, you know, although I really believe in the importance of, you know, the collective and community and, and doing what's best for society, um, sometimes doing what's best for society or your community or your collective means actually stepping outside of that and doing things a bit differently. Yep. So I'm not sure if that constitutes a pearl of wisdom, but um, there you go. <laughs> it does, it does. So uh, last images of Everest, sun rising, curvature of the earth, nice ridge, three-kilometre drops on the side, Tibetan farmer turning his light on for the day. Anything else to add? Um, I remember... I've got, I've, got one, I've got one photo from the summit of my friend Lakpa and you can see the curvature of the earth in the background. And by this point, we'd been on the summit for about half an hour. And by this point in time, yeah, the weather had really started deteriorating and it was starting to kind of snow and the wind was picking up. And I, I just remember thinking, this is so wild. And uh, within about 10 minutes, we were caught in a whiteout. So we couldn't see sort of, we couldn't see anywhere as we were descending down this narrow ridge. But it was interesting. I just that's kind of one of the fleeting kind of last memories I have of being on the summit. Again, just thinking this is so this is so wild, but wow, what a privilege to be up here. And interestingly, I always thought I'd be back there again. Mm. I always thought, no, I'll be coming back here. And, you know, I don't know if that's the case now anymore. You know, I mean I would have to get much fitter than what I currently am. And, you know, leaving the leaving the family behind for two months would be really a hard thing to kind of comprehend. And I'd I'd I don't even know if, I, if I'd be able to go through that again. But it was interesting. I de- and this, again, sounds cliched, and I might have even said this last time, but I felt like I left a little bit of myself up there. Oh, wow, um, no, you didn't say that. Yeah. Part yeah. of your soul. And, um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, it's a very special place. But I guess, I mean, it's a special place to a lot of people for many different reasons. Yeah. Oh, Pat, where can people contact you if they want to talk to you or reach out? Uh, sure, these probably two ways to find me. You could find me on the web at uh, patrickhollingworth.com or alternatively, you could find me through my business, which is um, think.garden. Um, my business is essentially a, it's essentially a kind of a, uh, it, it's, it, it's a, I call it a complexity lab and design studio. Basically, I, 
I do a lot of work in the space of complex systems and how organizations can kind of um, reconfigure from, you know, rigid structured kind of mechanistic entities to more fluid dynamic kind of adaptable systems. Um, so yeah, either at uh, patrickhollingworth.com or think.garden. They're my two kind of haunts on the, um, on the web. Pat, it was really special to touch the rooftop of the world again with you. Thank you so much for coming back on. Oh, you're welcome. Likewise, it's a pleasure to be back. And what, see you in five years' time? (laughs) (laughs) See you in five years' time. Maybe you will summon it again. (laughs) There you go. And that is all for Talking Trading today. I hope you enjoyed hearing Mountaineer Patrick Hollingworth climb to the summit of Everest and all the reasons why he likes to mountaineer. Next week on Talking Trading, we have a very share trading orientated show with Roman Bogomazov from Wycliffe Analytics Institute. He's a fantastic guest with a lot of share trading wisdom. I'm Caroline Stephen. We will see you next week. Take care. As always, if you like this show, please be sure to tell a friend. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcast and make sure you give us a big fat five-star review. You'll also notice that Talking Trading doesn't use sponsors and barely advertisers. This is because Chris Tate and Louise Bedford fund this show from tradinggame.com.au. If you'd like to get Louise's five-part free e-course, register at tradinggame.com.au. So until next week, happy trading. The views represented on Talking Trading are general in nature and do not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. Before acting on any of the information, consider its appropriateness in regards to your own situation. Want to know the hottest sectors in the Aussie market? Now's your chance. Download my free Hot or Not special report from tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not. That website again, tradinggame.com.au slash hot or not.